And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. The Athletic. Football League show, Fulham's Magnificent Seven, Dwarfs Blackburn, Preston go cherry picking, Oxford set for new owners and a new ground, Challoner takes stock, Port job, and we take it to the Maxwell as Blackpool stopper stops by. This is the Totally Football League show in association with Paddy Power. It's Thursday, you know what that means, it's time for your second dose of TFLS of the week. On this episode, we'll be looking back at what happened in midweek and ahead to what's to come in the weekend in the Football League. I'll need some help to do that. Handy then that I've got two experts with me who've agreed to put their bitter club rivalries aside for the next hour or so. In the Red Robins corner, it's Swindon icon Sam Parkin. Good day, Matt. I can't believe Robin has got colours on. Club colours. <laughs> Otherwise, I, I would have gone up to the loft and got something from 2002 and got it on. <laughs> I can't believe you used the greeting good day in 2021, but it was nice to hear it make a return. Uh, so in the use corner, confusingly, a yellow Robin, specifically Robin Cowan. Um, yeah, you've got the Oxford tracky top on today. Is that to reflect the, the glorious new regime which is about to take power? Uh, it was more because this is the one thing that doesn't have sick or snot on it. But yes, if, if you like, yeah. Um, yeah, lack lack of foresight, wasn't it, from my parents to name me that um, when we lived in Oxford? Yeah, yeah, maybe, maybe it heart. was just a sort of gesture of friendship. We'll, we'll, we'll probably never know. Um, what we do know <laughs> is we're going to talk Oxford imminently, which Sam is thrilled about. We'll also be speaking with Blackpool's Chris Maxwell and hearing from Dale Vince. But first, let's reflect on a newsworthy midweek of EFL action. Uh, no doubt the standout result of the midweek fixtures in the championship. When you make the Vinny printer spell it out, you know it's a real whooping. Once again, they're queuing up. Once again, they're scoring. Muneeth making the most of his time on the field. It is 7-0. Blackburn nil, Fulham 7. We'll talk Blackburn later, so we'll have a look at the Fulham angle here. Uh, Robin, 43 goals for the season already, plus a fourth clean sheet in a row here. Uh, Naiskins Cabano, the pick of the bunch, goals-wise for me, but this is getting ridiculous. Yeah, I think Daniel Storey made the point that actually there's a wider point here where this sort of narrative of anyone can be anyone is sort of not really true anymore in the Championship, and that's definitely true of Fulham. I know they had a little blip and they were conceding goals, but the fact they're not even doing that anymore is pretty ominous for the rest of the league. I know Blackburn had a player sent off, but even before then, it looked like Fulham were pretty much cruising. So, um, and they just put their foot on the gas. I mean, incredible result. And yeah, I can't, they'll probably have another blip or two over the season. But if they don't get promoted as in automatic, then something's gone terribly, terribly wrong, I'd say. Uh, Sam, Paul from Mitro to only get one goal, I thought. But also that red card for John Paul Van Heck. My goodness me. I mean, it was sort of comical, but also pretty dangerous. He just misjudged it a fraction. <laughs> <laughs> I th- honestly, I think I think he changed his mind. I think he's probably going with his head. And then he thought, oh, I can't get there with my head. So I'm just going to have to um, stick a leg out. But yeah, it was it was poor. It wasn't malicious, but he, he had to go. And yeah, Mitrovic only with the one. I was surprised. Um, I checked in a few times last night, expecting him to be... Two or three to the good, but wasn't to be. Um, good for Mooney's, I suppose, coming on and getting a brace if anything does happen to Mitrovic. And, and it's funny, just on what Robin was just saying, I just, I did catch like um, Harrison Reed's face just as he was running off to celebrate one of the goals. And I was just thinking, must be such a weird place to be in, uh, one of the Fulham players over the last couple of years. You know, is it great fun dispatching all these championship teams or do they want to be turning up and playing Arsenal and and Liverpool, it's just bizarre. You know, there's no kind of happy medium. Wouldn't it be nice to be in the Premier League and, you know, finish 13th um, next season? But it'll probably be another desperate season where they're, they're back with us. 
Uh, Naiskin's Cabano, the aforementioned on banal post-match Twitter duties. He said, what a game, three flames emoji. Very proud of our performance and so happy to have scored. Let's do our best to keep it that way, exclamation mark. Two applause emojis. Um, they probably will keep it that way, Robin, won't they? I'm just looking at their next run of games. They've got Posh, Barnsley and then Derby. So they might be out of sight at the, of the playoff pack. The, the next serious test for them is against Bournemouth in December. Oh, that'll be a good game. Yeah, I mean... As I said, and the strength in depth as well. Cabano getting on the score sheets, and as Sam said, uh, the other youngster. I just think, yeah, there is is sort of um, well, it's not purgatory, is it? It's like one year of kind of sadness and one year of happiness, on and off, on and off. So yeah, I mean, I just think that they're going to be unstoppable, and this this result will also put a real fear factor, which I think they lost a little bit during that run. Um, for other teams, so like a posh will go turn up and okay, let's see, let's just try and get through this without conceding seven. Uh, well, Robin talked about the most unpredictable league in the world, maybe not being the most unpredictable league in the world anymore. Try telling that to anybody who was at the residence formerly known as Dean Court on Wednesday. Bournemouth finally came a cropper. If you would have guessed, it would have happened at home to a Preston side who hadn't won away all season. We'll talk Bournemouth a bit later when we look forward to their weekend game. But Sam, this feels like a massive result specifically for, for Frankie McAvoy. Back-to-back league wins since that really limp derby defeat at Blackpool when, when he was kind of teetering on the brink, if uh, rumours are to be believed. Yeah, it's, it's a bit feast or famine with, with Preston. They went into the season under a bit of a dark cloud. We had Barkhazen let him rip the other day. I don't know if you saw it in the, in the local press. It was one of the most... Um, Unbelievable interviews I've probably read in recent times from an EFL player. Just so honest, um, you know, honest about the manager, the way that, you know, he probably saw things a little bit differently to the way that um, Frankie McAvoy was setting the team up. I just thought it was it was brilliantly open. Um, and last night, you know, you see the way the managers reacted. Scott Parker was kind of like, you know, it's one of those nights. We huffed and puffed, I think was the phrase he, he used. Credited Preston who it sounds like went there to try and spoil and probably escape with a point and they, they've ended up taking maximum points. So it probably it's probably not a great spectacle, but it's probably needs must really for, for Preston at the moment. They haven't got an abundance of goals in the team. You know, they've still got a few strikers to come back. So brilliant display, but you know, you're not gonna be it's not gonna be sustainable. You're not gonna be able to play that way every week. You're gonna have to open up. But um, yeah, probably a defeat that was going to happen to Bournemouth at some point. And, and you have to credit for, for Preston for getting tactically a really good game plan in place. So those were the kind of standout results on Wednesday. Shout out to, to Barnsley too. We'll talk more about them later, beating Derby. Tuesday-wise, Robin, what, what stood out to you? You had Coventry losing at home for the first time, Birmingham winning, Posh pinching a point. In Fergie's 500th game in charge, I'm sure like like me, you were disgusted to see Brennan Johnson booked for diving when he should have had a penalty for the second game in a row. Yeah, solidarity with you, Matt. That's the first thing I thought of when, when that <laughs> happened. I think, um, yeah, I, Swansea looked like it's really, really clicking into gear. Really impressed that the, the goals, they should have had more against Coventry. Um, sweeping moves under Russell Martin. I'm just really impressed with actually how quickly they've adapted to his coaching methods. Um, really thought it was going to be, I wouldn't say they'd get relegated, but it was going to be a bit of a struggle. I remember um, Sam actually was saying Steve Cooper, Swansea under Steve Cooper last season were a little bit drab actually and what you weren't very impressed with his style, were you Sam? And actually it's almost like he's kind of Russell Martin, this sort of rookie manager who's barely had any games under his belt, has revitalised them and made them what Swansea fans expect. So re- really impressed with them. And also, you know, Joe, um, Perot getting his 10th goal the season already. Um, so, yeah, really, they, they stood out to me, definitely. And also, of course, Luton raining on Neil Warnock's parade wasn't devastating, obviously. Yeah, 1602nd game in charge, but they lost it. 3-1. That's interesting, Sam, the, the point that, that Robin makes about Steve Cooper, because he did say that they were a bit dull last season, Swansea. But if you ask Forest supporters, they'll all talk with breathless excitement about the brand of football they're getting at the moment. Is that kind of a manager just working with what he's got in his squad and finding the best way for them to play? Or is that just a, a byproduct of having watched Chris Hewton football for a year and a bit? I'd, I'd probably go with the latter. <laughs> I think it's um, it's circumstances, isn't it? 
Um, Steve Cooper's not going to take the job at Forest without knowing what's gone before and and most recently, and he'll know what the fans are desperate for. Uh, and I think when you've got a black blank canvas, as he had at, at Swansea, probably going in uh, with a remit to make them competitive, get them in the playoffs, he you know set up his team to to pick up points the the way that he thought was best. And I just felt at times, you know, this is this is Swansea have been so used to having this continental style of football. And I always talk about those days at the Liberty, you know, playing up front because, you know, speaking about Preston a minute ago, I play in teams that went to the Liberty to go and spoil and put men behind the ball. And it was no fun being that centre forward, you know, just doing doggies between these really gifted central defenders, Gary Monk and the like, who just stroking it around and, the Swansea supporters, the Swansea people are so used to that when they come away from it, as they did, I think, um, under Steve Cooper. They vent. They vent their frustrations if they don't get the results. So I think that was that was probably the reason there. And I think the reason for the the success so far at Forest is that he has he's looked at it and he's improved there where they were deficient and he's made them more exciting. So yeah, probably circumstantial more than more than, you know, exactly what you know, I don't want to pigeonhole Steve Cooper. I think you know he's shown that he can be versatile in his early weeks at Forest. So that means for the Championship table, Bournemouth the top. They've got a six-point gap between themselves and third place West Brom. There's a big push on for the playoff places though. Stoke currently occupying six with 25 points, but you can go all the way down to Preston in 15th, only four points behind them. You might think they're still in with a shout of cutting the gap at the bottom. Barnsley. Up to third bottom, they've got 11 points. Hull have got nine. Derby have got five. Cardiff breathing not very comfortably there on 12 points, just a point outside the bottom three. Peterborough on 15, they might be quite happy with that. So that was the championship. In League One, shock of the week came at Adams Park. Wickham won. Ipswich four. Wickham had won every home game before this. Missed the chance to go into the automatic promotion places. Uh, Robin, I'm not sure how much, if any, pressure Paul Cook was under under the, in the first few weeks of the season, but it, it just shows that they were right to kind of stick with him and assume that he would gel this massive group of new players because here they are, four points off the playoffs, only lost one of the last six, won four of those. I think he was under a lot of pressure from the fans, absolutely, but it would have been really stupid of them to dismiss him after, as you say, that huge squad churn and bring in someone else who... I'm guessing, well, wouldn't have any say in who which players they actually wanted. And, you know, he, he's a good manager. He's proven that. It was always going to take time. What I liked was that they were, uh, the fans were chanting his name, weren't they? Cookie is king or something. And he was going, oh, they weren't, they weren't singing that last week. <laughs> fickle, fickle people, uh, football <laughs> fans. But this game had some of the best rubbish football, didn't it? I think Wickham, I think they all had a swing at it, didn't they? And it was eventually cleared. And also that, that still image of Stockdale, you know, the sweeper keeper. I think it was in the other half, wasn't it? <laughs> in that, one, of the la- one of the last goals. So really enjoyed that. I love a goalkeeper who goes for a wander. Absolutely love it. <laughs> Yeah, that was um, probably the highlight of the game. Our friend Duncan Alexander, uh, the the Wickham fan, uh, putting that on Twitter. Generally love a high press from a keeper, but sometimes <laughs> no, as the keeper is in the opposition half. And it was, I think it was Salida for that goal, running away to score easily. Um, Sam, elsewhere in League One, what the bejesus has happened to Sunderland? They've conceded nine goals in their last three games. They've only scored once, beaten 3 0. At Chef Wedding, there they used to be in the Premier League derby. Uh, they need to turn this round pretty quickly. Lee Johnson insisting post match that his team aren't shit. Um, they're just a bit of a soft touch, um, and I, I wouldn't have probably seen this happening at, at Sheffield Wednesday. And what he did, Lee Johnson, he brought. Uh, you know, I spoke about the deficiencies in the centre of defence. That I mean, the personnel stayed the same there, but in midfield, he actually brought in another body, Corey Evans, to help those two guys, Luca Nine and Dan Nell, out. And it just had no impact whatsoever. Um, you know, they had a few opportunities, a little flurry of opportunities in the second half, but this was very comfortable from a Sheffield Wednesday side that I'm not convinced about at all. And I don't think I'll be convinced about all season. So there are problems. Um, but I, again, as Robin just said about Paul Cook, they can't, you know, dismiss Lee Johnson now. They've got to persevere this season. There's been so much good about Summer Sunderland's performances. To this point, I'm sure they'll turn it around, but it's a it's a sticky spell. 
and need a result because I, I I expected them to be more competitive in this game on the, on the back of the thumping at Rotherham. I just say um, after Ian Everett, he's the second manager in the last few weeks to sort of choke on his own hubris, Lee Johnson, after taking the <laughs> mick out of Arsenal and Spurs, saying, "Oh, we'll we'll have them in the next round of the Carabao Cup, and then we'll have the big guns." And since then. <laughs> It's not gone too well. Just think it's quite important what you say, <laughs> generally as a manager. Um, yeah, and the Sunderland fans won't be, will be hoping it's not a streaky Lee situation. Yeah, it's looking that way at the moment. Um, speaking of managers, there's loads of vacancies at the moment. Probably most of them will get filled just after Abby Press's stop on the record here. But just looking at, at some of those linked, Barnsley, Mike Flynn, three to one on, the Daily Mail Reckon that Paul Warren might get it, which would be a weird move for him, uh, I think. Mike Flynn's also odds on for the Cardiff job, so make it that what you want. Uh, Scunthorpe, Keith Hill, 1-10 to 10 to get that. The Scunthorpe chairman, Peter Swan, is hosting two Meet the Chairman evenings for season ticket holders over the next two Mondays. Uh, Nancy told us on Monday about how uh, the protests have been going at Scunthorpe. Robin, that's brave from Swan. Yeah, to say the least. Is this in person, I'm guessing, not not mm. remotely? So we can't just shut the laptop down? I mean, yeah. I mean, fair play. Uh, you see so many clubs and certainly people in higher-up positions avoid that sort of thing. They don't even bother putting out any statements or anything. So, I mean, yeah, kudos to him. I just um, just hope he's maybe booked a bit of security or, or something. <laughs> Sam, those Mike Flynn links to Barnsley and Cardiff, we, we've, we've really liked what he's done with Newport over the last few years but it strikes me as odd that you could go from leaving a league two club by mutual consent i.e after they've had a rotten run of form and he's got fed up with it to, to become favorite for two championship jobs he, he don't know must have had some luck come his way i was trying to think of what you use as a metaphor for good luck but all i could think of was black cats and that's bad luck <laughs> i completely agree with you actually matt um i really like mike flynn played against him countless times brilliant character great fun and I think he did an outstanding job at Newport, but he's obviously, you know, inherited a side at Newport, which played a certain way. He continued in that vein, very direct, you know, um, had Jamil Matthew in that period, which is obviously a great asset in that, in that division. And we've spoken a lot on this podcast about the way he just reinvented that club in terms of the style, much more possession based in the last 12 months. And I think for him to to walk into a, a, a championship job now would be strange. I think he needs to make a small step, if that makes sense, from Newport, where if he's going to be about more passing possession football, he can do it at a club where there's not huge expectation, as there is at Cardiff. Because if he's wanting to change his own philosophy, I think it needs to be baby steps, if that makes sense. I think if he goes into Cardiff, which is definitely not a club that has got the players probably got the yeah probably got the ammunition in that squad to 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 play a a really exciting brand of football then that wouldn't be the right move for him that that's what i'm thinking so you know he definitely deserves an opportunity at a good club but i would say a league 1 club where he can go and really put his authority on it from the start of pre-season would be the way that he should go and probably the way that it will go that final bit of managerial news what was that i said on monday there was no chance dave challoner would leave hartlepool for Stockport, uh, embarrassed faced emoji for me. Challoner said, the chance to return to county and help make club history was too good an opportunity to miss. And what he meant to say was, Oh, they drove a dump truck full of money up to my house. I'm not made of stone. <laughs> All right, so it looks like Oxford United will be under new ownership before too long. UK-based Indonesian businessman and India Bakri. Is that right, Robin? I believe so, yeah. <laughs> Great. Uh, he's currently a minority stakeholder in the club. He'll take over pending EFL approval. He's talking pretty big, Robin, about new stadiums and sustainability. He's part of the Indonesian delegation at, at COP26. It, it's kind of difficult, isn't it, to get a read on, on people and their, their genuine intentions towards something. He's obviously a big fan of Oxford, the city. What do you make of it? Yeah, it's an interesting one. I think um, it's not really a takeover because he's already part of the board, so it's more of a sort of reshuffle. But a sm I would say a small section of Oxford United fans, as there are every club, whenever takeover talk is muted, they're always like, okay, so uh, who are we going to sign then? We're going to be like basically Manchester City. 
Um, and that's that's not going to happen. I think. That, but the the thing that's got everyone really excited is the new stadium because the Kassam is how ha- it's hamstrung the team, the club, because of the rent that they have to pay. So I think basically in terms of Oxford United and their league position, they've pretty much almost reached their ceiling because of the lack of revenue that they can get by not owning their own stadium. So I think that would be a real game changer if that comes to pass. And yeah, talking a good game. And I I think the fact that he's been there at the club for a couple of years now is a good thing. But it's all about what actually happens, isn't it? We've seen that before um, and we'll, we'll just have to wait and see. On a personal note, my husband is absolutely furious if they are going to move the stadium because we've just moved house and he's got a 10 minute walk to the Kassam. So if they do move it, he's going to have to get on the bus again. He's he's pretty angry about that because um, that was obviously the main reason we moved. Bus a sort of sustainable mode of transport, I suppose. Um, <laughs> Swindon Town Hall, a famous sand parking. This must be greatly concerning to you. <laughs> I'm just absolutely astonished that uh, Robin's partner would prefer to um, continue going to the stadium with three sides rather than have a nice glossy <laughs> new stadium. Even no, it's true. It, it's commute. like, I think it's almost 90 second out of the 92. I'm, I'm happy to admit that the Kassam is, it's awful. Atmosphere is terrible. Three sides uh, just makes it, well, the atmosphere always goes off to the Frankie and Benny's, you know, off <laughs> where that is. And and a few it, of my shots, Robin. <laughs> yeah. Well, you say that there's the car park there. There's been a few, you're like, oh, I'm afraid that that penalty has hit someone's wing mirror. Do come and uh, let us know and we'll uh, we'll get the player to, to, <laughs> to give you the money back. So, yeah, I mean, it would be great and uh, to get a new stadium. And also the, the main thing is the actual money that they could make out of that and not have to pay Mr. Kassam the the large amount of money that he brings in every month. Sounds like the stakes are high for Oxford. The stakes are horrible at Frankie and Benny's. Elsewhere, there are concerns about Huddersfield's chairman, Phil Hodgkinson, and his financial capacity, capacity, after uh, one of his businesses went into administration this week. The club, however, have looked to quash any fear supporters may have. They've released a statement saying, our board of directors would like to assure town fans the club remains able to meet its financial commitments over the short, medium and long term. They face Cardiff on Saturday. All right, Blackpool fans, next up, we're talking with Chris Maxwell. It's the Paddy Power supporters line and we're speaking to Man United fan Jed ahead of the Manchester derby. Jed. So yeah, I've got this tattoo, right, with classes permanent and all his face underneath it, but I'm afraid that his job isn't permanent, is it? Oh, well, uh, you know, you could you could change it to uh, ink is permanent, eh? Being a football fan isn't always rewarding, but if it's rewards you're after, then switch to Paddy Power and get a completely free £5 bet builder on the Manchester Derby this weekend. Paddy Power. Pre-match online bet builder bets only. Max one free £5 bet per customer. Minimum two legs must have previously deposited to avail. T's and C's apply. 18 plus becomeaware.org. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard it right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask me. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. You're listening to the Totally Football League show, part of the Athletic Podcast Network. I'm pleased to say now we're joined by Blackpool keeper Chris Maxwell. Uh, Chris, first of all, how's the injury? How's the recovery going? Yeah, good. Everything's on course. There's been no setbacks. I'm struggling to do as I'm told and just be patient. Being a workaholic and the first time in my career where I've been out with an injury. So it's uh, it's been difficult, been a learning curve, but I'm desperate to get back. Sounds like you've been filling your time well. You've been on a course for sports directorship. Tell me more. Yeah, well, I've um, I've been in uni part time now for four years, and I've um, recently just started the masters in sports directorship at MMU. So that's the next two years of my life, from straight from training, straight in my uh, study, and getting my head down in some books. So it's good. It's good. So you've already got your your post playing career plan. Then you're going upstairs. Are you director of football, something like that? Yeah, potentially. Hopefully, I'm a long way off um, retiring just yet I'm only 31 so hopefully being a goalkeeper you can last a few more years than the average player so but it's it's massively beneficial to make sure that you're ready for the transition into 
um, retiring. Is that something that's become a bit more popular? Are there any of the other lads doing similar sort of things? There's a couple of them that are doing um, coaching things and badges and such forth. So we've got quite a young group at the moment at, at Blackpool. So quite like that everybody's focusing in on the football and making sure that they're ready day in, day out to perform. So maybe some of them haven't quite got that experience yet of being able to um, nail down a certain um, pattern. But on the on the whole, our, our group is performing really well individually and collectively. So things are going really well at the moment. Yeah, really well is an understatement. I'm not sure if you got set a target at the start of the season, but but you're looking upwards now, aren't you? It's not a, a case of being worried about what's below you in the division. No, well, I'm just going to chuck a couple of cliches at you and say each <laughs> game as it comes and things like that. All all repeated quite a lot by various people, but um, couldn't be more true, to be honest. But we're doing well. We're not the finished article by any means. The players and myself are learning every day and we're growing um, every day on the training field and on a Saturday. So it's good. We're not the finished article and we'll see where it takes us. And that, that growing on the training field is obviously facilitated by the manager who has done amazing things considering it's, what, only a couple of years since, since he's come into senior management. How, how impressed have you you've been with him? And is it is it one of those where, you know, the sessions are kind of cutting edge and, and you can see that experience that he's got from working at a place like Liverpool? Well, first and foremost, he's, um, he's such a humble guy. He's he's genuine. What you what you see in the media and how he portrays himself is exactly how he is behind closed doors. And the most important thing I think for any successful manager and the experiences I've had with managers is trust. The players in the squad, the whole group trusts him as a person and as a manager. So it's vitally important for us to be successful. And he's. He's earned that through us and through his decisions. And if players aren't playing in a particular game for whatever reason, then those players can understand because they can see what the manager is trying to achieve and that it works. So, yeah, we're all in it together and the manager is at the, the focal point of that. And that, that unity, I know, is important in any squad. But I wonder how easy it is to foster that amongst the goalkeepers. Obviously, Daniel Grimshaw's in for you at the moment and, and you want him to do well, but but not too well. Is that is that a, an interesting kind of relationship or, or do you kind of band of brothers when you go off and do your own bits in training? Well, I just want to nail down 100%. I want him to do the best he possibly can. Every single player that plays on that pitch on a Saturday or Tuesday or Wednesday, whatever it is, whichever starting eleven is playing, every single one of us wants them them players to do well, regardless whether they're in your position, regardless whether they're fighting with you for the shirt or whatever. If that 11 and the players that come on the pitch deliver a performance which obtains three points, that benefits everybody. So that is, there is certainly none of that at, at Blackpool, which is fantastic. And I'm really, really happy that he's doing so well and the team are doing well and we're winning games because that's what it's about. It's not about me or anyone else as an individual player. It's about the team. The team do well. The individuals do well. I wanted to ask you a little bit about Wrexham. I'm sure you've had half an eye on what's gone on there over the last, what is it, six months to a year or so. And I bet you're still in touch with some of the lads as well. What's it been like down there? And how have you found it looking on to all of a sudden see it, you know, the focus of Hollywood almost? Well, it's been, I think, nearly nine years since I was there. Um, So... All the players have all left. I know there's um, Joey Jones is still there, the um, youth team manager. He's been there for a long, long time and is massively an important part of that club. But for me, the backing that they're getting from the new owners is nothing that the club and the fans certainly don't deserve. The, the support in North Wales is massive for Wrexham. You look at South Wales and they're split down the middle, Swansea-Cardiff, but in North Wales, certainly in some of the big games that I played in at Wembley and things like that, the whole of North Wales would travel. The whole of North Wales would support Wrexham, which is which is incredible. And it's, uh, it's a sleeping giant, certainly. And the luck that they've had with various owners and the tough times that the fans have had to endure was uh, certainly uh, behind them. And... To see 
two guys go into a club like that and really back the club, but genuinely back it as well. And supporting the locals is is fantastic. So I'm desperate for them to do well and they're pretty much my hometown club. Final question. You've had a whole bunch of promotions, you know, League Two, League One twice. Have you dared dream about playing a playoff final at Wembley to get in the Premier League, whether that's this season or next season? Blackpool have been there before, of course. You never know. Well, the little kid in me is is telling you, of course I have. I've dreamt of playing in the Premier League my whole career. I've certainly not given up hope. I won't give up hope until the day I retire. But the the professional experienced head on me will tell you each game as it comes. We're not the finished article. The the backing from the owner um, at Blackpool, he he certainly wants to achieve that at some point in his um, whilst he owns the club. And to be a part of something like that is is something that I would I would cherish. But what I would say is that it's not out of the realms of possibility for the structure that is now in place at the club, whenever that may be, whether 12 months, two years, five years, it's certainly a possibility. So if that were to happen, that would be fantastic and the fans deserve it. Yeah, it's definitely a team and a club on the up. Um, Chris, thanks so much for your time today. Really appreciate it. Hope you get back soon and all the best for the rest of the season. Thank you very much. Cheers, Matt. Chris Maxwell there. Sam, QPR play Blackpool on Saturday evening. QPR, of course, is the club of your heart. Contrasting fortunes for them in midweek. Maybe you're getting them at a good time, therefore? Quite possibly. Yeah, that, that was a really big win for for, for QPR uh, on the, the, the back of the disappointment conceding late against your mob, if I've got my games in order there. It's all a bit hazy, but... That was a that was a blow. It it reminded me of um, many games that I attended in nineties uh, and conceding late. Probably the Manchester Uniteds and Liverpools of this world when QPR were top London club in the Premier League, but still not nice. Bringing back those vivid memories of childhood tears, walking to school uh, the following morning. So um, that that was a really good result. Yeah, Blackpool were great. I'm I'm really impressed with the manager there um it's it's normally a 4-4-2 they've had a little bit of a weakness defending crosses set pieces um QPR I think only two teams put in more crosses in the division so I'll be expecting them to uh play on that get plenty of ammunition in for for Dykes but always the two most important players for QPI fit and, and available are Chair and Willock you know big fans of those two and I'll be expecting them to to carry the um the, the creative abilities at Blackpool and yeah they've got good front two as well uh, Yates and, and Medina are back in tandem in the last few games and Neil Critchley's side really well organized defensively sound and and carry a threat between those those two as well so tough game but I expect QPR to to get some momentum now and I expect, Robin, we'll know more about Blackpool and, and where they're going to finish this season at the end of this month, just looking at their upcoming fixtures. After QPR, they go to Swansea, home to West Brom, and then at Birmingham, you look at different prospects all of a sudden. So it's getting a bit trickier for them. Yeah, but I do think they're starting to find their rhythm. I've been really impressed because, again, started off a little bit ropey um, and it was always going to be difficult. It's always hard when you go up via the playoffs, don't have as much time. Um, but Neil Critchley has shown what an astute manager he is. Um, and I, I do back them to to stay up, I really do, unless they get, you know, a spate of injuries. They, as Sam said, looking, you know, really good up front. That was the, the sort of concern that those would be able to step up to the championship level, but scoring plenty of goals, keeping it tight. And that's, can't really ask for more than that. All right, the Championship takes centre stage in the EFL this weekend. We'll look ahead to the standout fixtures next. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com courtside to learn more. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? 
Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Because you're a listener of the Totally Football League show, you can get a third off an athletic subscription right now. All you need to do is head to theathletic.com forward slash league show. League One and two sides in FA Cup action this weekend, so it's champ all the way for us. Uh, we'll start with one of those, not really a derby, but two teams not that far apart geographically games. Uh, you can have that on Sky. It's at Oakwell. All's not well for Barnsley ahead of their meeting with fellow strugglers Hull. Uh, they're without a manager, although they did manage to pick up a win under Joe Lauman. He was in charge for the derby game on Wednesday. Prior to that, he said it's about us all as a group, a red family which I thought was uh, an interesting turn of phrase. They really needed that win, Sam, didn't they, against Derby? Only their second of the season. Some calamitous football played in this one as well. But, you know, if the guy in temporary charge is not going to get it, he certainly helped make it more of an attractive proposition for whoever does come in with that win. Yeah, really big result. Uh, Kind of switched back to the old way a little bit. That's what it felt like and looking like. Uh, and seeming like from the statistics as well, played higher up the pitch, more intensity, more what we associated them last season under Valerin Ishmael. So huge result. They got Leo, who's in form now, three and three. Uh, previously, him and Corley Woodrow were, were leading the way with two goals apiece. And I think it's probably, yeah, maybe rediscovering, obviously, that intensity from last season, but also some of the individuals rediscovering the, the form that they showed. Woodrow's been a little bit off the boil. I think both the Callums haven't reached the levels of last year where they were so important for for Barnsley, Styles and, and Britain. They were back, you know, in the wide positions last night and um, they got a favourable result. It got a bit hairy towards the end, but that's because of the circumstances of the last, what, seven, eight weeks or whatever it's been since their last victory, one win in 14. So, Huge victory and be interesting to see what happens, as you say, Matt, because um, if this guy, you know, has got the experience of working under a successful manager last year and a successful team, maybe he is someone that we shouldn't discount. Certainly not if they, they get back to back wins. And what about Hull then, Robin? No disgrace losing at West Brom as they did midweek, but it was their fifth defeat in a row. They managed a grand total of one goal in that time it kind of feels like everything's on hold while this proposed takeover gets ratified it, it needs to happen before January because they want to get some new faces in at the look of how they've been playing in recent weeks yeah and obviously no shame in losing to West Brom but they had one shot on target I believe they were kind of playing for a draw which is always really risky and in the end the goal that West Brom scored came from a mistake and that's what's going to happen you know and that, that was it 1-0 defeat so I think Grant McCann, after the game, praised their sort of defensive resilience. They stuck to that game plan, but you're going to need a little bit more than that, especially against Barnsley, such a huge game between both of them, especially for Hull. I think, well, obviously the main problem is goals. They've scored nine in their 15 games, I think, uh, or 16 games now. So it's just, that's really a poor, poor record. And so you can keep it tight as much as you want, but you need someone to score. Keen Lewis Potter... He's a top scorer with three goals in all competitions and he keeps being linked away. So as you mentioned the takeover there, Matt, it just you worry that it's got shades of the last time they were in the championship where actually they were going quite well and then Jared Bowen and Kamal Grzycki get snap up in January and then it was just downhill from there. So if the takeover happens, they manage to keep hold of him and get a few new faces and obviously that things will be looking up a bit more. But this is a huge game for Hull only got two wins this season and I think if they're to give themselves a fighting chance these are the sort of games they need to be winning uh, Elsewhere Lancashire versus Yorkshire at Ewood Park Blackburn looking to put Wednesday's walloping behind them as they take on Sheffield United 
Uh, Robin, I don't know if it, if it's a good or a bad thing that they've got a second home game of the week. I guess it all depends on if they if they win it or not. But I mean, Tony Mowbray, general consensus, he's done okay at Blackburn so far. But you lose seven nil, doesn't matter if you win your previous two. There's going to be some pressure on you. Yeah, um, there is. Uh, I think it was seven nil to an extremely good team. I know they were two nil down already before uh, the sending off. And it seemed like they kept trying to play and kept trying to get back into it. And probably that was the wrong thing to do against Fulham, who just kept picking them off and then kept making mistakes with their 10 men. So possibly the right, the better decision would have been to try and damage limitations. But that's just not the way Blackburn play, is it? And I think, well, it's, it's a real cliche, as you like to point out with these uh, tweets. But whenever you ask a player, you know, when you've had a defeat, I oh, want a game straight away, straight away, straight back into in it. So I think, you know, they'll enjoy that. Um, did have an observation about Brereton Diaz. I don't know if you guys watch Kirby Enthusiasm, but there's a there's a great series and episode where Larry David thinks he's adopted and he thinks he's not Jewish anymore and he's Christian. So he kind of starts doing like singing loud in church, doing shots and fixing roofs, things that Jewish people like myself wouldn't do, you know. Um, and it just reminds me of Brereton Diaz. It's like he was a kind of fairly middling championship player. Now he realised he's Chilean. He's grown the beard. He's banging them in. It just, I just feel like that's a real parallel for me. Lovely. Yeah, <laughs> like that a lot. Tony Mowbray whinging that he's going to lose Brereton Diaz for a couple of games in January for international duty. Uh, Mowbray also sounding simultaneously like a rapper who'd lost a freestyle battle and an incompetent plumber after that defeat on Wednesday. He said, we failed to stop their flow. Uh, what about Sheffield United, Sam? Uh, no shame in drawing at the world-famous city ground as they did after taking the lead on Tuesday. But if they're going to have any hope of being involved in a, in a promotion chase in the second half of the season, they need, need to go on a, a winning run. Pretty Billy Sharpish. Yeah, it's um, if you you look at it on the face of it, they've just had zero manager bounce, I suppose. I know that's not a phrase we normally reserve for during the season, but I'm going to go with it. Just... It just seems like a bit of a tired squad. I don't know if it's um, you know the the scars of of last season. I know that's a bit of a cliche again. We're racking them up today, but that that's how it feels to me. And I, I think it's that lack of you know, clinical element in their game. We've talked so often about those you know great options in forward areas. Well, do you want four or five okay options, or do you want one really clinical one that they've got at Fulham? And they've got a Bournemouth right now and, and Brereton at Blackburn. I don't see who's going to be that guy really for Sheffield United right now. And there's a couple of things that researching came to my attention. They've only scored um, more than one goal on five occasions out of their 16 games. So in 11 of their, their games, they've scored one or, or none. Which And I think they've got six against Peterborough, if memory serves me right. So a lot of their goals in their goals for column came against one side so you know that's a bit of an issue and and conceding points late on as well six points they've thrown away late in games against Huddersfield Preston Millwall and, and most recently against Forest and if you're scoring freely and if you've got a two goal three goal advantage those points are secure so I think that's where there's a big difference at the moment between the likes of Fulham and the aforementioned sides that are that are right up there in form I just don't think they have, you know, enough creativity and enough of a clinical edge about their side. We thought Gibbs, White and Die were going to be the answer when they came hot a few weeks ago and Dye's out of the side now. And Gibbs, White, he obviously got a goal the other day, but his his level's not been really high either. So they're going to improve on on 16th where they are right now. Uh, and this is probably quite a good game for them going to, to Blackburn. Uh, Tony Mowbray's probably st still stood looking up into the stand. Did you see that after one of the goals? It was very odd. I want to know who he was talking to or what he was looking at because he was motionless after like the sixth <laughs> went in. It was incredible scenes, but um, he's probably still there. But yeah, probably a good game for, um, for, for Sheffield United on the back of that. Yeah, it might be Billy Sharp who provides the cutting edge for them in this one. It's the first league meeting between them since 2018-19. Sheffield United won 3-0 and 2-0 in those two games and Sharp got 4 of the five goals. Uh, speaking of football cliches, we've got the pod for you. It's called Football Cliches. It's been nominated for Best Podcast in the FSF Awards this season. Two. I'm sure we'll get there one day, guys. Don't worry. 
Um, Robin, what have you been nominated for? You've been nominated for Commentator of the Year, have you? Excellent. I have. Um, and yeah, the irony isn't lost to me that I was basically on maternity leave for much of the year. So giving the public what they want, <laughs> which is not a lot of me, but it's obviously an honour and blah, 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 all that stuff. <laughs> Go vote. You can find all the links on social media. Uh, right, last stop for us today, the seaside which is not great in November. Luckily, Dean Court is a full three miles from Bournemouth Beach, so Swansea can leave their buckets and spades in Wales. Yeah, it's Bournemouth versus Swansea, basically. <laughs> uh, Bournemouth, good thing about the champ. There's always another game on the horizon, as we've said. Tough one for Bournemouth. Actually, though, Robin, I wonder if this, in some respects, might be an easier game for them than Preston because the opposition aren't just going to come sit in, defend and, and hope for a draw. They might be allowed to play a little bit more. I was thinking the exact same thing. It kind of focuses the mind a little bit, the fact that they're playing a team that I guess is a sort of similar style and, and one that's really in form. It's not sort of with respect to sort of lower, a team lower in the league at the moment, which they perhaps maybe a bit of complacency might creep. And I think it's actually a really good game for Bournemouth. And just looking at that game against Preston, I think Sam touched on it. I think it was just one of those days. Scott Parker said they lacked a sort of creative edge, but they were much the better side, I think, in terms of, well, in terms of shots, shots on target. I think they had a slightly higher XG as well against Preston. So I think it was just, you know, you go on these long unbeaten runs, it was going to happen at some point. And I do think that, yeah, it will be a, it'll be a really interesting game against Swansea, but I would back them to sort of get back on the horse and get back to the, maintaining the, starting another unbeaten run. Four wins from six for Swansea. Sam, Russell Martin's feet are well and truly under the table now, as we said. Big test for them here. Uh, I noticed that he's got a tune out of Jamie Patterson, somebody who's kind of bounced around this division for the last few years. Six league goal of the season for him at Cov. He hasn't done more than that since 2013-14. That's a sign of a good manager, isn't it? If he can if he can make a player who looked to be kind of meandering towards the latter stages of his career and, and revitalise them. Hey, I tell you what, I'm gonna I'm gonna praise a footballer that tweeted. Um, <laughs> Jamie Jamie Patterson grew up a Coventry supporter, so he was um, tweeting in the wake of the goal and the victory on uh, Tuesday night about you know what a great moment it was for him and for his family, which I thought was quite interesting. How many emojis? Um, I can't remember the emoji count, but a Coventry supporter did go back to him with something along the lines of, how can you call yourself a supporter and score against us? <laughs> and, and Jamie said something like, I'll kick it wide next time. All right, mate. Um, unbelievable. <laughs> I've got the tweet here, by the way. He says, having a season ticket as a Cov fan for years and scoring there will always be a massive day to remember for me and my family, exclamation mark. Cov are a really good side and made it tough for us. At times, that's a low-key dig. Then we get a muscly arm emo- emoji, what looks like a kind of medical bag emoji, which I'm not that sure what that means. <laughs> a football emoji, at Swans official, hashtag YJB. Plus a picture of him celebrating. So lots to like there, Sam, you're right. Lots to like. And Jamie, I'm very, very pleased for him because he suffered a year in Walsall's reserves alongside yours truly. So I not only inspired Will Grigg to go on and become... Uh, a person who's been on fire quite a lot during his uh, professional career. But Jamie, another one, yeah, saw flashes of brilliance and stuff like that. He wasn't with us every day because we had Troy Deeney, Darren Byfield, who were a great partnership. I was kind of their deputy with Will Grigg. But Jamie, undoubted ability, uh, and he's gone on had a really good championship career. And he's found the perfect place right now. Because, you know, if they're going to play two players in the little pocket at, at Swansea, he's such a good technician. And I'd probably go as far to say if I was to have a morning stood on the, the touchline at any training ground right now, I'd probably like to go and see how Swansea go about it. I'm fascinated by the football that they're playing. I know Luke Williams, the assistant manager. Um, him and Russell Martin are so on the same page. I, I understand that it would just be fascinating because it's very sophisticated. You know, we see them keeping the ball, but we don't probably see all the little movements and, and where they're telling people to go on the training ground. So there'll be a lot of thought going into this and completely agree with Robin. They're, they're brilliant with the ball, but I've been really impressed with their their pressing, with their energy as well, the other side of the game. Ethan Laird's been a big part of that. Um, and I just think... You know, he spoke about maybe the deficiencies of Steve Cooper's Swansea side. This has been a really good team that's been put together with some clever signings. 
Patterson led excellent Piru excellent work in in Cham as well you know there's and uh, Finn Downs five brilliant signings that would improve any championship side and um, yeah this is a game for the purist really is most possession Swansea against the third most possession in, in Bournemouth and it should be a fascinating game. I'd really like to be down there at the weekend, um, not for the beach, but for the fair that will be on display at Dean Court, formerly known as. Excellent analysis as ever, but I'm going to have to give you a yellow card for another little dig at Steve Cooper. Just uh, <laughs> um, hey, my mate's, the, my mate's the first team coach. I'm I'm Forrest, mate, these days. <laughs> A little update from producer Abby. That emoji that I thought was a medical bag is a battery. Uh, presumably, the implication there is that they were fully charged. That's why it's always useful to have somebody in their 20s on board. Uh, Abby, you can get involved more now by giving us some odds on those three matches that we've talked about, according to Paddy Power, please. Yes. So I'm going to go through the favourites and I'll give you a little treble on all three of those. So Barnsley Hull. Barnsley are uh, the favourites on this one. They are the home side and they did win. So perhaps unsurprising there. That's a 6-5 to five Hull, a 23-10 and the draw 21-10. to 10. Head down to Blackburn to Ewood Park and uh, Sheffield United who are the favourites there. They're 29-20 to 20, with Blackburn 15-8 to 8 and the draw 11 to 5 and finally Bournemouth very heavy heavy favorites against Swansea uh, they're 4 to 6 Swansea 4 to 1 the draw 5 to 2 if you fancy a treble on all those three favorites it is 8 to 1 nice you can find out these odds and more at paddypower.com or the paddy power app it's over 18s only prices are accurate at the time of recording t's and c's apply and when the fun stops stop <laughs> Uh, Robin, it's FA Cup action for you this weekend. FGR against St Albans City. How's the prep going? Are you, are you fully up there on Alex Lankshire and Dave Jeju and Joy McQuainer and the gang? Oh my God, you're making me even more nervous <laughs> than I was before. Yeah, getting there. I had a good chat with the St Albans manager yesterday, uh, Ian Allenson. used to play for Arsenal and a bit of a Colchester legend, I think. Hall of Famer there, so... Um, no, should be good. They're building the gantry as we speak at Clarence Park, so I'll be there freezing my bits off on Sunday evening. Always, always, a, always a pleasure, <laughs> never a chore. <laughs> uh, speaking of FGR, over on the Athletic Football Podcast, Mark Chapman and Matt Slater have been speaking with their owner Dale Vince. He's a taster of what he had to say. When you bring in a new manager, is one of the. Although I suppose your reputation precedes you, but but do you question new members of staff on? on their, their views on the environment and sustainability so that they buy in with, with your ethos? No, no, we don't actually. And it's like, um, it's like the mug, the famous mug, you don't have to be mad to work here. Our view is you don't have to be green to work here, you know, and if you are, it helps, but, um, but, but you will be before you leave probably to a degree. That's, that's my understanding or experience of it. But we, we tend to attract people that are at least open-minded to what we're doing. You would have come for a job with Forest Green Rovers if you didn't like what we did, you know, if you had a problem with what we did. I think that's, uh, so they're kind of pre-screened in that way, I think, by the uh, the advanced knowledge of what it is we get up to. And our new guy, he's been amazing. You know, he, he jumped at the chance of an electric car. I never expected that because obviously managers drive, you know, the length and breadth of the country, don't they? But he jumped at the chance and then he went and persuaded his parents to get one. And he's, he's just fully on board, which, which I have to say is, you know, is so unexpected and, and, a, and a great bonus. Dale Vince there. All right, Abby's having a, a lockdown one flashback moment. She's convinced that the path to her for yet more awards is to come up with loads of quizzes. Uh, with that in mind, she's insisting on testing our knowledge of the FA Cup so far. I'm going to play two in this. So here's our producer slash quiz master to play the role of Ben Shepherd because this is truly a tipping point of this episode. Over to you, Abby. Good afternoon, everybody. So we have got four questions here. They're all multiple choice, so don't worry about it. It's not like you're going to have to know everything about, you know, Barn Oldswick Town or whatever. But we'll go through it and see see what you know about the FA Cup. Question number one. Who is the lowest ranked side left in the competition? Is it A, Bowers and Pitsy? Is it B, Horsham? Is it C, Hayes and Yedding United? Or is it D, AFC Sudbury? My mate's manager of Hayes and Yedin, so I'm not going to say them. Who's D? No, I've heard of them, yeah. I think it's Sudbury, Sudbury. I believe, on telly. And that is a lo- that's a local derby, isn't it? And I was um, shouting at the telly, can't recall who was doing the draw, but there was a couple of lovely derbies that came out and nobody mentioned it. And I was like, that's down the road. I'm sure that I used to <laughs> frequent watering holes in Colchester and AFC Sudbury when I had the disaster at Ipswich. 
This is great content. Yeah. What was right. the answer to the question, Abby? The answer to the question is AFC Sudbury, and they do face Colchester United. So uh, well done, Robin. She's done her research. Um, we'll move on to question two. Uh, of the following, which set of fans will have the furthest to travel? So I've got four matches for you here. Uh, this is all one way, and this is according to Google Maps at 11.45 on a Wednesday morning. Is it Sheffield Wednesday versus Plymouth? Is it Wimbledon versus Guiseley? Is it Banbury versus Barrow? Or is it Yate versus Yeovil? It's not the last one. Barrow. Yeah, I'd say that as well. Can I have a Barrow go? Because this is my specialist subject. Okay. <laughs> Wimbledon Guiseley. Wimbledon Guiseley will be close, I reckon, to Banbury Barrow. But Barrow's just it's basically Banbury. Scotland, isn't it? Yeah. Mm, Banbury's Northamptonshire, though, isn't it? Ah, it's Oxfordshire. Is it? Mm. Uh, go on then, we'll go with that, shall we? Which one? Banbury versus Barrow. Mm. Yeah, it's actually Sheffield Wednesday versus Plymouth. Oh, that's going to take a full four hours fifty-five. Wimbledon versus Guiseley is four hours thirty-one because it is an absolute pain to get out of Wimbledon. Banbury versus Barrow is only three hours fifty-five, a whole hour less than Sheffield Plymouth and uh, Yate versus Yeovil. I'd never heard of Yate before, and I thought it was fun, but that's an hour and a half. It's the first Y versus Y game in FA Cup history. I really appreciated the uh, specificity of the the time that you'd done the Google Maps. Well, I thought it would be helpful well, because, you know, can, traffic yeah, is a, a thing. Traffic. Uh, sure, yes. sure. Especially on like the M6 or what have you. Anyway, moving on. Uh, question number three. Who is the top scorer in the competition so far? Is it Adam Lennox from CM Red Star? Is it Paul Turner from Barnoldswick Town? Is it Sol Solomon from Jersey Bulls FC or is it Adam Boyce from Mask United which does feel like it should be a government policy more than a football club are they all definitely team and player names because it sounds like a lot of those were made up kind of champ man regens (laughs) I did choose all my favourite team names Uh, the guy with SS is his initials I think Sol Solomon yeah he he is my favourite name anyone else that's a cracking name yeah (laughs) anyone want further on Sol Solomon yeah I'm happy with Sol all right. Yep. Sol scored nine goals so far in the uh, FA Cup, but he is not the top scorer. It is Adam Boyce who's got ten. Uh, Paul's got Paul Turner's got five, and Adam Lennox has got six. And finally, we, we've we've reached the end. Don't worry, listener. Uh, how many teams in this season's first round proper have previously won the FA Cup? For 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 help here, Ooh, there are eighty good. teams competing. But these are your options. Is it five, seven, nine, or eleven? All right. So we're looking at League One and League Two. What Sunderland have won the FA Cup, right? Sheffield Wednesday must have at some point. Wimbledon have. Help me out, guys. <laughs> of Oldham? No. Mm, probably Quite done. They lost in the not. semi, didn't they, once to Man United? Yeah, 94. I think, <sighs> like, yeah, is there anywhere else, anywhere up near Bolton? That kind Tramere, of... Tranmere, they won't win the FA Cup, will they, no. All right, I think it's probably seven in that case. Happy with that. Oxford ever won it, Robin? No, won the, won the Milk Cup, not the FA Cup. Yeah, the big one. Um, Good name, though. Uh, All right, should we go with seven? Yeah. The correct answer is nine. Uh, I'll go through them all for you. So, Bradford City, we're winners. Bradford, yeah. Uh, Sunderland, I believe you said Sunderland. Uh, Sheffield Wednesday, Portsmouth, Notts County, Wigan, very famously, Ipswich, Bolton, Charlton. Uh, That is it. There you go. We've all learned something today. It's a curveball there because I was just looking EFL-wise and they are not in it. Well, I think we got a solid one out of four. So enjoy your weekend. (laughs) (laughs) Luckily, only one of us is working on the FA Cup this weekend. So me and Sam will be absolutely fine. Um, Many thanks then to Sam, to Robin and to Abby for their company today. And to you, Lister. We will be back on Monday when we'll be running down that big weekend in the Championship and more. Until then, from all of us here, it's bye for now. You've been listening to the Totally Football League Show, part of the Athletic Podcast Network. Listen ad-free on the Athletic app and keep up to date with everything Totally by heading to at the Totally Show on Twitter and on Insta. Find out the latest subscription offers by going to theathletic.com forward slash league show. The Totally Football League Show is an Athletic Media Company production. The Athletic. 
As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager.